Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi there, I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa, and you're listening to season four of The Females, a podcast that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season, we're exploring the theme of courage, from the traditional definition to the new and unexpected ways that courage shows up in our own lives. Today's interview is with Eleanor Beaton, an internationally recognized expert in women's leadership and an advisor to growth-oriented women entrepreneurs. Through her experience working with female leaders at all stages of their careers, Eleanor has seen it all, and specifically, she's seen what it takes to break free from indecisiveness. Making and sticking with your decisions can be extremely hard. So that's exactly what we'll be covering in today's episode, including analysis paralysis, self-doubt, and even an exercise you can do to determine how to pivot in your career. And now, this is The Females. All right, Eleanor, well, thank you so much for joining The Females. Let's start with you briefly describing what you do and your career path. So I am really delighted to be here. I'm a leadership coach for women entrepreneurs and executives. And I actually started my career in the world of advertising. I was an account manager, worked inside a really thriving agency, and had a real desire to kind of take the communication that I was doing there, but tell sort of deeper stories. And at the time, the way I would have described is tell deeper, more meaningful stories. So I made the transition to journalism. And as a journalist, I, you know, covered a lot of very fast growing companies, covered CEOs and and senior executives inside really interesting businesses and parlayed that into a boutique communications consulting agency where I advised politicians and CEOs and lobby groups and so on, on how to communicate more effectively. They started asking me, Hey, can you come in and teach my people how to communicate and be more articulate and communicate with each other better? I did not know how to do that, but like a classic consultant, I was like, 100% I can do that (laughs) and figured out how, and that is where in those sort of training and development sessions with companies, that's where I started to see a real difference between how men and women were showing up, how they were valued, how their voices were heard. And that really launched my passion for advancing women leaders and and sort of ultimately led to the work that I do today. Mm -hmm. When I first heard of you, you were still working or mostly working with companies. So that's, yeah, that's exactly how I first heard of you. So going along with this season's theme of courage, which, you know, you have a lot of amazing leadership advice and I love your podcast, which is Fierce Feminine Leadership. So everyone go check that out. We're going to be talking about a very specific topic today, but you've got 
tons of advice on everything. But since we're talking with this seasonal theme of courage, I really wanted to talk about the courage to make decisions and actually stick with them and why decision-making skills matter to your career, your business and yourself and more. So can we just kind of start with an overarching theme of like decision-making and like why this matters at all? I so love this topic. And for me, you know, decision-making is central to courage because when you make a decision, you are taking a position and your decision is the access point to your commitment. So you can't access commitment until you have made a decision about something. And then you can't access results. You can't access, you know, your potential. You can't access growth until you've invested commitment, until you've put yourself, your time, your resources into something that's meaningful for you. And that's what generates results. So I like to think about lead indicators and lag indicators. So lead indicators are the things we do today to get the lag indicators, which are the results that we get tomorrow. So, you know, if let's say you wanted to drop 10 pounds, the lead indicator is what are you eating? How much are you exercising? That kind of good stuff. The lag indicator is, you know, the weight loss. So it's like that with everything, you know? And so decisions are the lead indicators, the decisions that you make today, they help you access your commitment and they open up the possible results. Mm -hmm. Decisions are everything. And the problem is like what you and I are experiencing today is very often the result of decisions that we made a few days, weeks, last quarter, last year. Right. Right. So decisions matter. Absolutely. And it's interesting because we're, we're basically making this sound like it's a very positive thing. And it is, except that people really have commitment phobia. Like people are afraid to commit, you know, to plans with friends, to a career path, to a company, you know, when people have multiple job offers and they have to commit to one, there's that feeling of like, did I make the right move? So it's interesting because there's, there's obviously a lot of positive results that come from making your decision and committing, but also the flip side is that most people are, you know, commitment phobes. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, you know, and that's why the theme of courage is so interesting because, you know, let's talk about what that means. So if making a decision involves having courage and it involves having courage because you've basically taken your side now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> you've rolled the dice and you've stepped onto the path that you're going to be walking on. And that means that at least in the short term, you're probably going to be foregoing other things. And I think two things happen for people. One is that they tell themselves this story that the other thing that they might be missing could have been really awesome, more awesome than the decision that they made. Right. right. You know, and mm -hmm. so there's that kind of thing happening. And then the other thing happening, and this is so interesting, is that they don't trust themselves to honor the decision that they've made. Yeah. Right. And yeah. right. And so it's like, very often, you know, the place where people have commitment phobia, the way, the way it shows up or, you know, when people say, oh, I have commitment phobia, it's normally because it's like a big decision. Should I take this promotion? Should I make this lateral move? Should I launch my side hustle? So right. Sort of big commitments. But the reality is that big commitment phobia actually is probably showing up in their lives in little commitment phobia, breaking dates with friends, breaking promises to themselves about going to work out or going to, you know, or completing this thing or, you know, spending Saturday morning doing this uncomfortable but important thing. So very often the way that we do one thing is kind of the way that we do 
everything. Right. So maybe a, a good way to train yourself to be able to make big decisions and stick with it is to start by making small decisions or committing to smaller things. As you said, you know, happy hour with a friend, committing to reading your book for an hour before bed and actually sticking with it. Totally. Exactly. Those little decisions, they form the bedrock, you know, of how you relate to commitment yeah. overall. So fascinating. Well, let's talk about the difference between pivoting because it's a smart career strategy versus being indecisive or as you like to call it, second guessy. <laughs> and, and, and how does this appear to others too when you're a second guessy or indecisive or another phrase I've heard is like you're flip floppy. And, and that is like a real thing in the workplace, especially between uh, employees and managers, I feel like. Oh, totally. And, you know, so let's start there. I mean, I was talking with a client recently and she's a senior executive inside a large organization and was talking about somebody who's inside that organization. And she described him as a quote unquote flip flopper. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, and the problem at that level is, you know, the more senior that you get flip flopping becomes more and more of a problem Because as a senior person inside an organization, what you are essentially, you know, your essential role is to generate momentum because you're responsible for things that you can't do on your own. So you've got to generate momentum by getting teams of people focused on goals and working and coordinated together. And it's like, if you take that momentum, it, it takes, it's like a big snowball, you know, and it takes a while to get it rolling. But what it's, when it's rolling, it can gather a lot of power and momentum. Um, and then you flip flop, you know, and yeah. now all that momentum creates a lot of pent up energy and sometimes frustration. So as a leader, you know, I think that we have an inherent understanding that they can command that kind of momentum But if it's not matched, if their authority isn't matched with that underlying confidence to honor the decisions that they've made, even when it looks, you know, even when things get tough, um, you know, it it can create real problems, both for the organization, for how they're perceived, you know, it's not a good look and it's not a good thing. Right. It's like you, if you have one moment of indecisiveness, it's like now you're a flip flopper, right? It's, it's yeah. like, it really does kind of become the reputation. I mean, I've had this happen too. And I, I think startups especially have this where things are pivoting and moving quickly. And, and part of pivoting and the ability to pivot is what makes, you know, people really great at their jobs or good leaders or build amazing companies, right? It's like, instead of just sticking to the strategy, because that's what you said on day one, uh, so that you don't look like a flip flopper. It's like pivoting can actually be really good. So how do you know, or like, is there a way to decide, am I being a pivoter or am I being a second guesser flip flopper? Mm. To your point, you're so right. It is important to be able to distinguish between making the right call. You know, my grandfather <laughs> used to had this expression and he was like, it's a woman's prerogative to change her mind. Yeah. (laughs) I I was like, okay, great. But it's true. I mean, it's everybody's, we all have that prerogative to be able to change our mind when new evidence or new data comes in that suggests, Hey, this strategy, it's not working. Right. So here's what I would suggest around this that I think can be super useful for people. So I think you need to think about, am I looking to make this pivot or this change to serve a larger, grander, more compelling future opportunity or because of current discomfort. And if you're making the pivot, you know, in order to tap into future potential, 
that you see, you know, that is a powerful thing. If you are making it because you want to avoid the discomfort of what you're going through right now, you know, quite honestly, most of the things that we do to avoid pain, discomfort, or suffering are not actually the healthiest long-term things for us to do. Right. So I, I think that's like one criteria. The other thing that you want to look at is if it's causing you current discomfort. So for instance, if you're a startup and you're running out of money, you know, which can happen. I'm on the board of two venture capital organizations, you know, it that happens is all the, the time. world of startups, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if that's happening, you need to take a look at if I'm experiencing current discomfort, where's that coming from? And what's the evidence? What's the data? And then using that versus necessarily how you feel about yourself and your leadership capabilities in the moment. Mm -hmm. But also if you're pivoting because you saw on someone else's Instagram, they're doing X, Y, Z. And I'm using Instagram as an example of like, you know, looking around and comparing yourself to other people and they're doing something else. And you're like, oh, I should be doing that too. You know, it's like, you know, chasing that shiny ball wherever it's bouncing around. And I feel like oftentimes, especially if you're not 100% sure of the decision you've made, which kind of goes back to what you were saying before, then you might look around for someone to validate it or something to validate it. And if it doesn't, then you're like, oh, I got to pivot. I got to change. It like also doesn't help with your ability to make and stick to future decisions. Yeah, that's so true. And it's widespread. Right. You know, it's totally a widespread thing right now. It's real. And I think we all are prey to that. You know, there have been tons of times where, you know, I've broken my rule. It might be 9 p.m. I'm looking at Instagram. I see something and I think, oh, that's interesting. That's a sm even though it's not my strategy. Right. You know, so I, I think it's a totally normal thing to experience. I mean, that's the power of social platforms. They tap into these sort of deep human, you know, things that we all have. But I think that, you know, the thing to keep in mind and think about is where are we outsourcing judgment? you know, and where are we separating from our own sense of what's right for us, our own, you know, analytics of the evidence, our own instincts about what's right for us and our careers and our organizations. And you can't outsource that. It yeah. has to be developed something intrinsic to you over time. Mm -hmm. Such a good point. Can you give us an example of collecting evidence to help in your commitment to a decision? Like what are good examples of evidence? Well, here's the thing, you know, when I talk about collecting evidence, what I'm really talking about is confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. And so confirmation bias suggests that, you know, if I make a decision or if I've made my mind up about something, I'm going to start looking for evidence that aligns with what I decided. Right. You know, and so the beauty of that is that you can start collecting evidence to support any decision that you make. <laughs> and so what this, you know, it sounds arbitrary, right? But what I'm really, what it's really coming down to is, you know, I had this mentor once and she was a fabulous business leader, amazing CEO. And she said, you know, Eleanor, when it comes to making decisions, most decisions in your career or in business are actually kind of arbitrary. Like there's not really a right or a wrong decision. You make the decision and then you make the circumstances work. Right. There's very rarely a wrong decision. And so when I talk about collecting evidence, what I'm saying is you make a decision. So for if you were to say, okay, am I going to make this lateral career move because it'll give me more operational experience or am I going to stay in the HR department? So each of those decisions could work out for you. And let's say what you really want to do is move into operations. So now you can go and start collecting evidence that's going to help you form a belief system that supports that decision because you've made it right. Right. And so it could be, well, if I look at fortune 500 CEOs, their path to the CEO track 
was through operations Mm -hmm. as an example, you know, so you can start finding evidence that aligns with the decisions that you've made. We tend to look at that as sort of self-manipulating, but it's actually not the case. What we're trying to do is build a case to support a decision, understanding that there's very few right or wrong decisions. There's just our commitment to making the decision we've made the right one or with the lack of commitment, the wrong one. Right. This is like make your pros and cons list, right? And like whatever side is longer, that's how you know (laughs) if it's a yay or a nay. But uh, obviously I'm simplifying that, but it is sort of like making your pros and cons list with the evidence. Mm -hmm. Exactly. As a business owner, I have some unique financial needs that can't be handled or really even understood by just anyone. That's why I was thrilled to discover the Financial Gym, where I was paired with my very own personal trainer to give my finances the workout of their life, one that continues to target all the right spots for my unique needs. Financial Gym is a personal financial services company that takes a fitness-inspired approach to their clients' finances. By working one-on-one with a certified financial trainer, Financial Gym helps clients to make smarter money decisions that lead to long-term success. What I love about the Financial Gym is that they don't just give you general advice. Whether I'm looking for career advice or financial advice, I like it to fit me specifically. By working with your financial coach, you get personalized advice that is tailored to your specific needs. Whether you need help with budgeting, saving your money, investing, or debt repayment, your financial coach has you covered. After meeting with your coach, whether virtually or in person, you will work together on a customized plan to get well on the road to financial success. All of their plans include a one-hour goal-setting meeting with your trainer, meetings to review your financial plan, quarterly check-ins with your trainer, and ongoing access to your trainer as questions or challenges arise. Plus, you get access to the Financial Gym's online spend tracking portal. To get started, schedule a free 20-minute consultation call over at thefinancialgym.com backslash thefemales. On your call, a Financial Gym team member will pair you with your very own certified financial trainer. Just make sure that you mention the Females Podcast to get 20% off your new monthly gym membership. Work out with the Financial Gym to give your finances the workout they deserve. So bringing this advice to the typical employee who is being led by a boss and their boss might be unclear about goals or commitment. I mean, we hear this question a lot. You know, I'm trying to figure out if I'm doing well in my job. Basically, they're trying to leverage their current job into something new. And so they're trying to find what have I accomplished? What were our goals? How have I been, you know, uh, participating in that? Which are great questions. And that's obviously a natural place to need to start, especially if you're thinking about moving your career forward. But if they don't have that clarity, how can they get clarity on the decisions they need to make when they depend on a manager, right? Like how can they get clarity around their job or accomplishments or what they should focus their time on when they've got this other person sort of leading the way? Oh, that's a great question. So I think that the way that you would need to kind of do it is basically to get your sea legs. So here's what I mean by that. Your future, let's pretend that your career inside an organization is you on a boat. Your manager is going to be the captain of that ship pretty much. And where you want to be, your goal is this dry dry land point on the horizon, okay? Mm-hmm. And so what you need to do is to be able to keep your eye fixed on where you want to go 
You know, you want to look out, lean out into the distance and have a sense of, you know, this is kind of where I see myself going, you know, in three or five years. And what you're doing is continuously getting your bearing on where your current ship is day in and day out. Mm -hmm. So in your question, what I'm hearing is where this is typically the problem for your readers and audience is if they have a boss or a manager who might not be super clear. It's not sort of a clear focus place where they're at. The challenge is when there's not a lot of focus inside the organization. Right. And so if that's the case, the more unstable the current reality is, the more you have to kind of have your sea legs be constantly checking your balance, be continuously checking like your coordinates, be continuously getting a sense of where you are on sort of a daily or weekly basis. So for instance, if you're working with somebody who has, or for somebody or reporting to somebody who has a tendency to flip-flop, not totally clear about where you're going or your organization is going through major transitions. So you might have a great leader, but it's just not clear what's going on from day to day is kind of a moving target. I think what's really critical is that you check in. Number one, you be okay with having that kind of fluidity and you be comfortable with the discomfort of that. And the second thing is using your connections, listening, observing, continuously figuring out where are we today? What is important this week? And checking those assumptions with your manager, you know, or, you know, colleagues inside the organization to get a sense of where you are, you know, you're sort of using your current coordinates, you know, navigating them against where you want to go right. and just doing the next smart thing. Right. That's great advice. And with your example, it was actually very easy to visualize kind of what all that means. And I'm kind of curious on the flip side, that's someone who's working for an organization and probably knows where they want to go in three to five years. What about if you want to make a career transition or you want to do something totally different, but you don't know what that is? Is there any way? And I know I'm asking you like really big, hard questions and you're not a crystal ball, but yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) You're in the hot seat, literally. So like for career transitions, because this is another question I get, which is like, I think I want to go into X, Y, Z, but how do I ensure? And it really comes back from, I guess, the very first question, which is like people have analysis paralysis, right? Like they they think about all the different options are almost so overwhelmed. And I think this happens for women, especially because we didn't have as many options before. And now we have lots of options and there's pros and cons to having lots of options. But sometimes you get frozen because you only want to make sure that you're moving forward in the perfect next step. Mm-hmm. So I love this question and it really comes down to two things, assets and experiments. Here's what I mean by that. So let's say you're working in the marketing department of a media company and you want to make a move into the world of fintech Mm -hmm. or you're working in marketing and you want to move into operations or something like that. You want to make, or you want to start a side hustle or whatever it is. First of all, congratulations. I love when people, you know, have that desire to do something different, to pursue a different path and then actually do it. Really exciting. So there's a couple of things, you know, that I think you need to think about. So the first is that I want you to think about your career and what you do as an investment. Okay. And so Basically, what we typically think about doing is, you know, I want to make this transition. What do I need? I want you to think about the assets that make your career an investment. So Mm -hmm. your assets include your network. It includes you and your skill set and your expertise. Mm -hmm. It may also include sort of the technical, you know, training that you have. It may include your industry knowledge It may include kind of your position, like if you have awards or recognition or that kind of stuff that kind of sets you apart. 
So if you think about it in terms of assets, you've got to ask yourself, okay, I want to make the move over here. What are the assets? You know, when I look at me, my network, my skill set, you know, and my sort of my credibility, right. and the credibility is a little bit like your brag book. So let's say you've got those four assets with respect to this new thing I want to do, just kind of score yourself on a scale of one to 10 in terms of all of those assets. So do I have any network over here? No, I'm going to give that a zero. Me, I'm awesome. I'm giving it a 10. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at doing similar work. I'm going to give that an eight. And from a credibility perspective, I actually don't have any credibility in this industry. So I'm going to give it a two. Right. So now, you know, okay, I've got to work on my network and I've got to find some way to get some credibility in this industry so that I can really go in there, you know, put a great case together. I've got the assets that are going to produce the kind of return that I want. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, totally. No, you're very good at examples. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So that's like the assets question. And I think this is a really smart way to do it. Because what happens is that when you think I'm the one who has to produce the result, Mm -hmm. that opens the door because depending on what kind of day you've had, the way you feel about yourself in that moment, you know, it could be a little bit of a flip-flop depending on what kind of day you've had, how much personal work you've done, all of that. Let's take that out of it for a moment and look at it in terms of the assets that you have that are capable or not yet capable of producing the return you want, you know, so that's one thing. And then it's like, okay, great. So I know I've got to build up this credibility or I know I need to build up my expertise or my network. Now we switch to experiments and this is where you're running frequent little experiments, you know, to test out ideas that you have about how to make inroads. Yeah, no, I love that. And and the experiments obviously relate to wherever your numbers were low when you were making your asset list. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I love it. And it's also so doable, you know, and I and I love that you put it in very like simple terms, because I do think a lot of times people are overthinking it. And and part of this is like, just come up with your numbers. And as you said, when you're taking self doubt and all these feelings about yourself, and you know, are you having a good day or a bad day out of it? Just doing that simplifies the whole process. Exactly. We get asked a lot about career transitions and which jobs are going to be in demand in the future. And while we're not complete fortune tellers, we do know that design roles in tech were listed in the top five most in-demand jobs by CNBC in 2018. If you've been considering a career in UI or UX, now is a great time to consider making the leap and Springboard, an online learning experience, can help you do just that. We've partnered with Springboard before because we know that what they're offering is totally unique and valuable to you. Not only do they offer the actual design courses, but they also offer support by one-on-one mentorship from industry experts. After completing your course, Springboard guarantees you'll get a user experience design job within six months or your money back. Individuals from all backgrounds have successfully broken into the field of user experience design, landing roles at companies like Google, Facebook, Lyft, and IBM. Springboard courses are also self-paced and flexible to fit your needs. You can study online while you still are working that full-time job. There's also a range of payment options, so you're not limited in what you can afford right now because they allow you to either pay upfront, pay monthly, or you can even defer your tuition until you start your new job. The curriculum has been developed for you to own the design process end to end. More than just theory, you'll get your hands dirty, coming up with design solutions for real world client problems. In support of getting more women into tech, Springboard is offering listeners $750 off tuition costs 
when you apply now with our exclusive promo code, CONTESSA750. CONTESSA in all caps, so that's C-O-N-T-E-S-S-A 750. Apply to the UI slash UX design career track courses from Springboard today. I also know that you coach a lot of female entrepreneurs and that one of the challenges for female entrepreneurs, and I relate to this, is standing out from the pack. And you're very talented at really helping people with their messaging. And so again, you guys definitely check out Eleanor's site and her podcast. But can you just give us your advice for doing this related to developing personal resilience practices? Because I know you've talked about that a lot. And I mean, if there's one thing very true about being an entrepreneur, female or, or male or whatever, it's that personal resilience is a really important, you know, skill set to have. Here's what I would say, you know, when it comes to standing out and being seen and differentiating yourself and, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or working inside, you know, building a corporate brand inside an organization, these are really important things. You know, it's important that we stay top of mind. It's important that when the conversation is happening around the boardroom table, ours is the name that comes up, you know? So, When I think about that, there's really two things. It's about being seen and it's about being willing to experiment. Mm -hmm. And so here's what I mean by that. So being seen, if you're going to build a brand, share a message, there's the technical side of that, you know, in terms of what you say and how you say it. But the other side of it that we don't talk about that is even more important is your willingness to be seen. Right. You know, because it is I remember the first time I ever saw a video of myself doing a talk. I wanted to get in bed, put the like, <laughs> put the covers over my head and stay there like I and yes. I was a communications pro. Like <laughs> it was really uncomfortable to be seen. So I think, you know, resilience practices around being OK, being visible and being OK, you know, testing new messages, testing new audiences putting your message out there, not knowing how it's going to be received. That's a lot of experimentation. And so a very practical exercise that I do, and I continue to do it daily, is I just have a thoughts journal. And I basically keep track of the things that I'm thinking and the things that I've told myself. It takes five minutes. I do it every day. I get the thoughts out of my head from where they're driving things onto paper where I can see them and either embrace them or dismiss them because they're not serving me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Thoughts journal. Truly what I think is valuable about that too is that you're taking the time to not just like brush it off. But you, as you said, you're taking the five minutes to write it down. So it's getting out of your head onto the paper and then you get to make a decision from that. You know, most of us, it's just still living in our head for the next, you know, I'd like to say the next day, but the reality is probably the next few weeks. We're like dogs with bones. We are not going to let that go. All right. So our last question before we move into rapid fire is what's the last courageous act you made and what was the result or impact of that? So this is such an interesting question. (laughs) So, so here's the last courageous decision, you know, the courageous act that I did. So I was invited to speak at a fundraiser and it was a fundraiser for like a YWCA and more than half of the work that this organization does is really support the work of, you know, the sort of professional development support of young mothers basically in this particular organization. And so they'd asked me to come in and give a talk. And, you know, when I go and talk, I'm often talking about what I would call corporate feminism, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit like what we're talking about. And so we're talking about the things that high performing women do to really lean in, move the needle, make a difference. And when I'm talking about that stuff, I'll talk about techniques. I'll talk about, you know, tactics. I'll talk about mindset. 
But in this talk, I felt that I needed to bring something different. I needed to bring something more powerful. And I also had this thing that, you know, it was what would be really important for me was to share, to actually be much more personal in how I shared my message so that I could truly connect with, inspire that audience and fulfill why I was there. Mm -hmm. And so I made the decision to kind of share, you know, about my experience when I was in university, you know, I was like big scholarship student, all this great stuff. And, you know, in university discovered I was pregnant, decided that I was going to find another family for this beautiful child and made that decision. So you know, it was a huge decision in my life. Yeah. It had huge impact on who I was, how I did things, you know, all of that, you know, leading after it. But it was a really courageous thing for me to do to kind of share that story in an open venue like that. But it was important for me because what I found is that the more we can bring as women, like that's the promise of women leaders. That's how we're going to rescue, you know, <laughs> yeah. It's because of our ability to bring together the inner world and the outer strategic tactical world in our leadership. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have to be this, show this and do this in the right way. And so that's what I did. It was courageous, super proud of myself. Yes. And it had an impact. That is a very courageous act. And, and thank you for sharing that with us too, because, you know, sharing it in a in-person public forum is also a little bit different than deciding to share it on a, you know, podcast public forum. Yeah, so I know. thank a you. Public, public. <laughs> but you know, it's so funny because I think as women, and there's a reason that I'm sharing it here, I'm guaranteeing you, you know, there is somebody listening, probably a lot of people listening to this who are going to hear it and it's going to give them a sense of yep. freedom. Yep. You know what I mean? Just like, go do it. Right. Oh. <laughs> you know, and that's why I'm sharing it. And that is why we really appreciate you sharing it too, because that's kind of the point of the podcast as well as like, you know, women and work and life, the more we share and the more we talk about our own experiences, the more we all benefit. As you said, it's going to be the part of how women, <laughs> women leaders rescue, <laughs> rescue this situation. <laughs> I like the word rescue. Okay. So we'll move into rapid fire. These are definitely less intense questions. Cause I know you've been in the hot seat, like I said, the, the whole interview. So, well, this one might actually not me, but it's the first question is what's the last decision you made big or small to hold my team accountable to tougher metrics. Wow. That's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, or you're like your coffee order. Like, no, that, no that's I was good. literally doing that just before. Yeah. <laughs> your favorite way to unwind to watch the Toronto Raptors. The leadership question you get asked most often is some variation of how do I balance my desire to work on the important with my need to address the urgent. And looking back, you'd tell your younger self. Just because this is making you uncomfortable doesn't make it wrong. Well, thank you, Eleanor, for joining us today. Tell everyone where they can find you and learn more about you, your background, and the services that you offer. Thank you so much. I feel like the best place is to check out the Fierce Feminine Leadership Podcast. It's a great show. We talk about advancement strategies for ambitious women. So that's Fierce Feminine Leadership. And then you can find me online at eleanorbeaton.com. Amazing. We'll put both of those in the show notes as well. So thank you, Eleanor, so much again. It's a privilege. 
Hey guys, it's time for our favorite part of the episode, Tough Questions, where Kayleen and I bring one tough question and answer it honestly. And we also like to fill you in on some of the behind the scenes stuff here at Career Contessa. So we'll start with that. So Kayleen, what's (laughs) happening in your world? (laughs) Well, a really exciting thing that happened for us last week is that we actually got the opportunity to interview a real life astronaut. Yeah, that's a first for CC. So basically when the email came in, we hopped on it and we kind of all scrambled to be on the call too. But we spoke to a woman who she actually works for Boeing and she just participated in this experiment called HERA where they basically simulate a trip to the moon or Mars. Oh, um, cool. And anyone can apply to do it. They do accept people with like typical astronaut qualities, but <laughs> it was really cool to speak What's to an her. astronaut quality? I think you need to like basically know like a little bit about like math and physics. <laughs> so I will you not. You just need to know a little <laughs> bit of physics. So just brush up on your physics to go to space. Or... Yeah, to go to uh, fake space. It was really interesting. So that's coming up down the I also, I also feel like Kayleen was telling me earlier that there was like a certain part of the interview where the woman was like, actually, I can't share this with you. It's top secret. Yes. And I was like, that's cool. <laughs> Let's get like an yeah. FBI person on. <laughs> we scrambled onto some like uh, NASA data where because they have this data that they compile throughout the uh, experiment. Yeah. And then you can look at it at the end and find out probably pretty crazy stuff about yourself, like yeah. how you handle pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Or even probably your vitals, I would imagine. So <laughs> I feel like NASA should just like create like a work version of that and like license it out. And everyone's mm-hmm. like, I'm this type of astronaut. We definitely haven't had as many interviews. Well, definitely not an astronaut, but any, I think we had one lady who was a literal rocket scientist. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. She was too. Yeah. yeah. So we're, I yeah. Mean, we're trying to ask her these like smart questions, but I'm like, I just can't even imagine what, <laughs> yeah. what she knows. So. Yeah. I was like, uh, how about like soft skills at work, but I don't know. You're like, what are your interpersonal skills mm-hmm. like? She's like, I've got bigger issues than that mm-hmm. now. Okay, so behind the scenes in my world is I recently turned in my manuscript of my book and it goes into production. And for those of you, including myself, I didn't really understand what the production meant for a book. I And I was kind of getting very worried because I was like, oh my goodness, I'm turning this in. And when it's, it's in, it's in. But production means it's going to go through these really heavy copy edits and they apparently, they go through it you know, literally word by word, and they send you like hundreds of notes back. Mm-hmm. So this is just like another calm before that storm. But I, I felt like that was definitely a milestone to be like, this book is completed from A to Z. And now whatever edits I have, it's going to be like grammar, spelling. We all know I'm going to definitely have some spelling <laughs> mistakes in there. So that was really, really exciting. And then in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be in New York City and I get to actually meet my publisher in person cool. along with my editor. So it just feels very real. And and Kayleen already found it on Amazon, which felt really cool. <laughs> and I was like, that's definitely, order it yeah, I was like, that's definitely a mistake. <laughs> and they told me it's not. So, I mean, we live in such a digital world that we get to do everything you know a couple days before if it's spelled wrong we can Mm -hmm. always edit it afterwards so print is just like a beast to kind of be involved with because the book doesn't come out until may and it's you know october while we're talking about this all right so let's move into tough questions kayleen i'll let you start i feel like this is going to turn into a rant but i'm excited (laughs) i'm ready to rant now what is your uh biggest latest pet peeve (laughs) my latest pet peeve (laughs) um i like the clarification my latest pet peeve is not respecting other people's time okay so this is kind of two part one (laughs) is when you show up late not by like 10 minutes but when you're like 30 minutes late like I was meeting someone the other day and they were 45 minutes late that's 
so rude. I just mm-hmm. like I like I can't understand that. And it would have been fine if they gave me the heads up, but I was like waiting and I had to reach out to that person. So not respecting people's time when you're meeting somewhere. You know, I had a podcast interview that was scheduled a couple of weeks ago and it took me two hours to get here. Yeah, LA. There was also <laughs> like an actual oil tank that like fell over on the freeway it was bad anyway so it took me forever to get here got all set up in like 10 minutes before we were supposed to record she canceled and I was like you must be kidding me Mm. it's not having to cancel like or running late like I understand that I understand life happens it's when you don't respect someone's time enough to be like I'm not going to make it today. Can we reschedule where you do it in enough advancement that doesn't screw up the other person's day? The other thing that's been happening, and we talked about it on a podcast episode a a little while ago, is when people do this thing where they just like email to introduce you to somebody without, we call it like the double opt-in. So it's like before you introduce two people, ask that person if they have, you know, if they want to be introduced right. or if they have time to be introduced because like respecting their inbox, I guess. Yeah, so it's still it, respect their time. It like implicates you as like the immediate bad guy if you yes. don't opt in for whatever reason because of, of any reason. Like, right. I don't, I don't know you. I don't I don't know if it's like the time of year, but I feel like fall brings on a lot of those things where people are just introducing you to other Mm -hmm. people. And then, you know, I feel bad if I don't get back to them quickly enough or if I don't have time. And so I just wish people like if someone had said like, hey, can I introduce you to this person? I would probably have told them like I'm up against a book deadline. Can you just could you do it in like December or Mm -hmm. so or whatever? I, I definitely I always respond to people. So I'm just having a little bit of a pet peeve, mostly about the physical stuff. Like, don't flake. Show up if you say you're going to show up. If you're going to be late, give people enough of a heads up that they can change their schedule around. And certainly if you're not going to show up to something in person, like don't do it 10 minutes before. Yeah. It's mm. just like blows my mind. That you wouldn't do even that. do, I wouldn't even do that to like my best friend who I know would forgive me. You know? Yeah. So my, my latest pet peeve is not respecting people's yeah. time. It's not because I think I'm busy or this or that. It's that I, I just want the heads up. Like yeah. I'll find something else to do. You know what I mean? Or I'm more likely to reschedule with you because we can do that versus like, push it you know what I mean like if you're gonna run 45 minutes late we can reschedule I'd rather yeah. do that so yeah that's my latest pet peeve <laughs> <laughs> I was really mad about that podcast thing oh so. my gosh yeah that was a dark day that was a dark day it's <laughs> kind of funny because our whole office I feel like is time conscious like we were laughing the other day because Elise our uh, social media coordinator and I were like oh we're running late we're running late like it's going to be a really late morning. I think we both got in at the same time. And it was like maybe seven minutes I later than we would. And I was like, wow, we're kind of dorks. That's how we're wired, though. <laughs> um, that stuff doesn't necessarily, like, you know what I mean? Like, unless you're meeting somebody. But it's when you're meeting someone and they're yeah. waiting for you, it's like, oh, come on. You can't give someone the heads up. I don't mm-hmm. get that. If I've done that to anybody, please email me. No, I, <laughs> I, I don't think I would because I'm so sensitive to that. So then I have to also be like, if that's your pet peeve, then you have to be sensitive to it for other right, people. Right, you know? oh, Of course. Okay. So my tough question for you uh, is tell me about the last outrageous comment you've heard about women at work. <laughs> I'm, I'm so Kayleen runs content. So she gets a lot of comments. Gosh. <laughs> I don't know if I necessarily have like a specific comment. It's more an audaciousness or like an audacity of people to kind of word vomit like what they think. Sorry to say, specifically men will say, well, women are this way or they're that way. And it's like, 
what do you know? Like, yeah. when, when was the last time you were a lady? Like, yeah. <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah. So I think it's things like that, especially I will find when I meet maybe, like, older men, like, in their 50s or 60s, you know, like, like dad friends, uncles, things yeah. like that. And I'll explain my job to them. They often have, like, input where I'm like, you just, I mean, I wouldn't tell you how to financially invest anything because I don't know. And, right. And you don't know. So maybe, like, it's it's more this thing of, like, Rather than sitting back and learning, people are like very eager to give their two cents where they really know nothing about it. I had a guy argue with me that the wage gap was fake. He was like, that's just made <laughs> up. The news just makes that up. I was like, you know um, about the media. I mean, maybe maybe you could say that if it was like a one off thing, but like this is not a one off thing, you know, and there's like a lot of research and there's been a lot of studies mm-hmm. and it's not just our country. It's other. And it just it blows my mind how he was like, no, women just making that up. And I was like. I don't think that's that's not how this works but when people say such outrageous stuff like that too I almost probably not not even worth talking to you about it slowly back away the ones who I like talking about are like I have a couple guy friends where like they'll have like a true conversation Mm -hmm. and they'll be like so a woman at my work like we have all these social events and we were at this social event and I couldn't tell if it was like okay for me to do that or whatever like they'll Mm. ask questions and that's coming from more of a place of like us having a conversation together Mm. versus like a conversation at me yeah (laughs) that sounds like a thoughtful like (laughs) or or maybe yeah like what do you think or it's the coming forward with like well I think this based on absolutely nothing that makes me that happens a lot and it makes me crazy yeah all right so (laughs) now you guys know what not to bring up around Kayleen and I so (laughs) very ranty tough questions I know I know they weren't tough questions they were rant (laughs) questions Anyway, all right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. We love reading the reviews and we love hearing from you all. We'll be back next Tuesday with actually our first male interview, Christopher Voss, who is a prior FBI hostage negotiator who now uses those tactics in the business world to talk about negotiation. He's also a best-selling author. So until then, you can follow us on at The Females Podcast on Instagram to stay up to date. Share this episode with your work wives and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is feeling it and doing it anyway. I mean, I'm scared of this stuff all the time. Um, We're wired to be fearful. Um, the, The neuroscience actually backs that up. Regardless of our gender or ethnicity, we're wired to be fearful because it was what was required to keep us alive when we were actually being chased by saber-toothed tigers. So being aware that to start with, like you shouldn't beat yourself up because you're fearful. You're wired to be fearful to start with.